And hello, everyone, and welcome to our program, The Truth Will Set You Free, Bible Prophecy TV Radio Edition. I am Vic Batista, along with my co-host, Nathan Jones, and we are transmitting live from our station in this wonderful audio cast program. So hopefully you can stay tuned and be part of the program. And for those of you that follow us on social media, feel free to participate as you follow along in our program. As today, we're going to continue looking at the seven people of the seven churches of the book of Revelation. And today we're going to talk about Perg Peggy from Pergamos. So stay tuned to our program. But before we continue, I'm going to ask Nathan Jones if he will open us up with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word, Lord, a word that you have given that sheds light, Lord, on what your overall plan for the ages is, a, a plan, Lord, that shows you victorious and those who follow you as victorious as well. I pray, Lord, you'll open up the word so that we may understand your purposes and grow in our relationship with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Again, you tuned in to the Truth Was Set Free Bible Prophecy TV Radio Edition, Vic Batista, Nathan Jones, as we're looking at the book of Revelation, the message to the seven people of the seven churches. Before we continue, of course, I want to welcome Nathan Jones, my co-host to our program. Nathan, how are you today? I'm doing well, sir. I'm doing well. Thank you. How about you? I am doing fantastic. Nathan, it's great to uh, be on the program with you. As always, we're very excited to always see what God is up to. Yes. Yeah. Boy, God's up to a lot of stuff in the book of Revelation. And you've picked a, what some people considering an impossible book to know, but you and I know that's not true. Matter of fact, the Lord even promises in Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 3, a blessing for those who read it and take it to heart. So, brother, I'm glad that we get to bless others by teaching through the book of Revelation, particularly the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. Woo! Thank you, Nathan Jones. And of course, Nathan, uh, we're very excited. But another thing we're excited is a, a lot of wonderful things that you have been involved in there in your ministry. Can you talk to us a little bit about the ministry in case someone is new to the program? Also, maybe some events that are coming up and some of the things that you're up to personally. Well, I serve as Internet Evangelist for Lamb and Lion Ministries. We're a Bible prophecy teaching ministry whose mission it is to proclaim the soon return of Jesus Christ. And we do that through a number of ways, primarily through our television show, which I co-host with Dr. David Reagan called Christ in Prophecy. You can find that on almost, <clears throat> excuse me, all the major Christian networks, as well as uh, my pulpit is the Internet. And so you'll find me working hard on lamblion.com or christinprophecy.org. That's the internet pulpit, so to speak, of our ministry, and that's where you'll find me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nathan Jones. And again, for those that are tuned in to the program, take advantage of these incredible, incredible resources. Uh, Nathan, also, you have a trip to Israel that uh, the ministry is planning? Three trips, to be specific. Our ministry has got uh, one in May, another one in September, and another one in November. And if folks, if you have ever wanted to see the Bible come to life and be real, to walk where Jesus walked, you want to join us on one of our Israel tours, you can check that out as well. Also on our website at ChristinProphecy.org. Thank you so much, Nathan. Again, and everyone says that one trip to Israel is almost the equivalent to a year of seminary. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been to Israel. What do you think? Uh, absolutely, Nathan. I will highly recommend it uh, to anyone uh, that is a trip worth getting into debt for. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> that's why our ministry actually has something called the Millennial Kingdom Scholarship. It's a scholarship to help millennials 18 to 29. If they want to go to Israel, obviously, that's a time in your life where you have the least amount of money. 
and uh, probably the most amount of debt. And we want to help millennials get over to Israel. So if you know of somebody or are a millennial, then we can do a nomination and nominate you to be considered for one of these scholarships to send people to Israel. Going to Israel is, like you said, pretty expensive. It's about $4,000, $4,500. And this scholarship covers uh, uh, most of that. You know, obviously we want people to commit a little bit towards a down payment towards that. But uh, overall, most of it is covered. And if you're a millennial, then uh, contact us through ChristinProphecy.org. What an incredible opportunity for those of you that are tuned in. You need to take advantage of this great uh, once in a lifetime opportunity and you're going to be so blessed. So, Nathan, that is fantastic. The fact that the ministry is able to do that, the praise the Lord for that. And, and Nathan, the idea is that we want everyone to learn more about the good news of Bible prophecy. We want them to look at the messages in the word of God and recognize that this is for them, that this is personal. And then when they step there into Israel and they begin to walk into these places, the Bible just becomes alive. And that's why, Nathan, you and I are taking this trip through the book of Revelation uh, in a personal, biblical point of view. We want individuals to not just uh, read the Bible, look at the book of Revelation as a message for someone else, but that they could consider, hey, what does God want to say to me uh, through the messages to the churches? So you and I, Nathan, we started this re really fun series uh, there here a few weeks ago. And we've been looking at the different churches and we've been giving them a personal name, if you will. Would you be able to recap for us, Nathan, those uh, things that we've talked about in the opening there, Revelation chapter two, before we continue to the third uh, person? Sure. Well, I'm going to leave it up to you to remember the names of the people that you gave each church. <laughs> well, Nathan, to think. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, uh, we, we talked about Eve from Ephesus and, and Myrna from Smyrna. And of course, we were talking about the message to the church in Ephesus and the message to the church of Smyrna. And uh, you began to give us some wonderful backgrounds about this and what was going on. Right, right. Well, you'll find in Revelation chapters two and three messages that Jesus Christ himself gave seven churches in an area called Asia Minor. Today, we know it as the country of Turkey. And these are some of the earliest churches that the Apostle Paul helped settle and establish. <clears throat> and in the book of Revelation, Jesus has a message for each of these churches. The message usually consists of a compliment of something they're doing right, a condemnation of something they're doing wrong, a warning if they don't change what they're doing wrong, and then <clears throat> a promise to those who overcome. So we started with the church of Ephesus, the first in a clockwise circle as you travel around Turkey. And Ephesus was representative of the apostolic period as well. We can also look at these churches as representing periods of time within church history. And so it's not just a real church, but it's also a representative history. The apostolic church from about 30 AD to 95 AD, it was a church that was concerned about it being established, organization and doctrine. But over time, they began to lose their first love and become legalistic. And Jesus called them back to their first love, the love of Christ. The second church at Smyrna represented a persecuted church, a church that was heavily persecuted and martyred by the Roman Empire from 95 AD to 312 AD. And that was the church that existed at the time that the book of Revelation was written, just the beginning, because the book of Revelation was written when John was in his 90s, or about 95 AD. And so we've got two here of seven churches that Jesus had messages for. Now we're about to enter the third church. The Church of Pergamum or Pergamos depends on how the city is pronounced. Absolutely. Nathan, thank you for the wonderful background. And of course, we're giving you the background just in case you're new to the book of Revelation. We want you to recognize that this book was intended 
for everyone to read. There's a special blessing involved for those individuals that take the time to read through the book of Revelation. And Nathan and I want to break it down for you in a very simple format, where it's also personal, because this is what it was intended when these visions and dreams were given to the Apostle John and when he was revealed this uh, through these mighty angels. So, Nathan, next we're, we're, we're going to be looking at uh, Revelation uh, chapter 2, beginning on verse uh, 12. Would you be able to take us uh, through the next um, those next verses? Sure. You can find the uh, church of Pergamum or Pergamos here from Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And it reads, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you have also those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Woo, Nathan, this is a, a powerful, powerful message, and I think a timely one uh, for all of us uh, here today. And I mean, th these, these, these churches, uh, as you mentioned, Nathan, they also represented uh, different time periods. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, the character of the Church of Pergamum clearly was a church that was no longer suffering from martyrdom. And so they began to become apostate. Um, a lot of times people look at the church from 312 to 590 AD by the Roman emperor Constantine. He had converted to Christianity and he made Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire. Well, that's great for those who were persecuted, but whenever you mix church and state, what you end up is a watered down church. And that's what started happening. The Romans started taking their gods and renaming them with biblical names and continuing the old pagan worship right into Christianity. This is the birth of the Catholic Church. This is why Protestants are often so down on the Catholic Church, because the church has, Catholic Church has incorporated a lot of the Roman pagan idolatry into their worship system. And that's where we get uh, praying for the dead and uh, Mary veneration and the Pope being infallible and different saint worship as the saints are renamed Roman gods. And this is what you start seeing in the church, a devolution into or back into idolatry. Nathan, and this is why we, we notice again that we have to be so very careful uh, in our times when it comes to these, uh, th these temptations, these issues, these things that are attacking the Christian and that are attacking the church. And in verse 12, note that what I, note, Nathan, what I notice is what an incredible description here in terms of how he opens up. He says, and to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write, these things says he who has the sharp sword. Uh, and I, I, I mean, I just look at this, the sharp two edge sword. The Bible has a lot to say regarding this sword. Uh, Hebrews chapter uh 4 verse 12, Ephesians 6, 17, Revelation 19, 15, 
Uh, Nathan, speak about uh, this. Uh, what is your take on this? What are we talking about here, this two-edged sword? Well, we know that Jesus Christ is the one who's talking here. He announces himself quite plainly in Revelation chapter 1. We know Jesus then is saying that he's carrying a sharp two-edged sword of his mouth, which, you know, you don't picture Jesus shooting a sword out of his mouth. <laughs> but anybody who, who reads the Bible, the interpretation of symbols in Revelation are, are really not as hard as people give it. You just have to read in the book of Revelation. A lot of times it will explain what the symbols are. Other times, like here, you have to go back into the Bible to find what their meanings are. So, for instance, like you said, Hebrews 4.12 reads, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing mm. even to the vision of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We also read here in uh, uh, Ephesians 6.17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So what is this two-edged sword? It's the very word of God. I mean, God speaks and a universe comes into being. God says something and the universe is created. Uh, he speaks and people are healed. Well, here we got the word of God. The, when he speaks, it pierces our souls. It, it changes our hearts. It makes us contrite and, and think of the Lord and, and look for repentance. And so here is the Lord. He's got a, a sword which can cut off the, the evil and, and replenish us to good, or it can chop and kill us if we don't uh, repent and we then face an eternity in hell. So that's the two-edged sword of God. It brings salvation, but it also brings judgment. And Nathan, and you made a very good point. And also a Revelation 19.15, if you can take it there briefly, because here we recognize that this is Jesus himself, and he is going to bring a judgment, if you will. Yeah, I mean, Revelation 19.15 reads, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that which it, he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Uh, this <laughs> There's a lot of revelation packed into 1915, but here again, we got that sharp sword. He's going to use it to bring judgment upon the evil nations, but he will also rule mightily as one who holds a mighty sword, the scepter of a king. And that's referring to when Jesus returns, sets up his kingdom, and rules over the earth during the millennial kingdom. And Nathan, and I'm glad that you share that because this now, as we bring it back to Revelation 2, there, this is a personal message. In other words, God is talking to this church, to the Christians in this church, to the individuals in the church, to that Peggy of Pergamos, if you will. And I think that this is why as we go through this message, hopefully our, 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 those that are tuned into our program will look at this from a personal point of view. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think, well, this is for somebody else. Uh, someone else should be listening to this. But this is for us to take heed and see what the Spirit might be saying to us. Absolutely. Uh, that's a really great point, Vic, because what you're saying is, is that, yes, these were real, literal churches that really were there in Turkey. Some towns still exist. Some have been destroyed over time. They also represent errors during the church age. Uh, the personalities reflect modern-day churches, but the messages, like you said, are also meant for the individual Christian. We, if you're a believer in Christ, are a member of the church, part of the body of Christ. And therefore, these messages are for us to well. And you can find our personalities 
in some of these churches, and so therefore we should listen to the Lord's warnings to each of these churches. Excellent point. And, and Nathan, that's why verse 13, one thing that stands out at me is obviously there were challenges in this church because two times I read that it says where, where, where Satan dwells or where Satan's throne is. In other words, these are real challenges that we face even in our churches. We have spiritual warfare. We have the enemy attacking from within and from without. And, 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 as, and as you uh, continue to uh, share with us here in these verses, uh, this is a real threat as we look at verse 13. Yeah, when you look at Pergamos, I mean, if you take it literal, and literal interpretation should be the method you use to interpret the Bible, is that here, Satan's throne, it twice it says that. And so what does that mean? Is that the town of Pergamos in Turkey likely was really a kingdom, uh, a headquarters for Satan. So it also means that the Roman Empire, which ruled over that time, was where Satan's throne was. Ruled Obviously, Satan's going to rule over the, the lead kingdom of that time period, and that was the Roman Empire. And so here we're talking about Christians who are known for their works. They do good works. They help people. Uh, but they also are trying to survive at a time period coexisting with Satan. Now, we know that Satan, as the Bible teaches, is a real entity. He really hates God, and he really hates Christ and his children. He wants to kill us, man. He, he doesn't want us alive. And so imagine being a Christ follower in the same hometown as where Satan was setting up his kingdom. And ruling the world from there. And so these people were martyred. It even lists a man named Antipas, who was a faithful martyr, killed among them. Uh, so yes, uh, this was a terrible, terrible time for Christians during that Roman Empire when the persecution of Christians involved. Obviously, uh, Christians being shut out of business, a kind of a BDS movement against Christians. We know Christians were uh, captured and forced into gladiatorial combat. They were eaten by lions. They were sawed in two. They were crucified. They were burned at the stake. It was a horrible, horrible time for Christians. And yet the Christians, as were commended here in the church of Pergamos, fell fast to their works and continued to serve the Lord during this time. Man, Nathan, that is very encouraging. And we know, Nathan, like you mentioned uh, earlier, we're talking about church uh, history periods, but also personal. And, and we find that we have to take this literally because it actually mentions that individual uh, in history and time uh, called Anipas. So in other words, we cannot spiritualize the word of God. Absolutely not. I mean, there is definitely symbolism throughout Revelation. We got to give it that. But it, like I said, it, the Revelation and the Bible interprets the symbols. There was a man named Antipas who was murdered. Now, the challenge that the church in Pergamos faced is that when you're under in, in intense persecution, you don't want to be persecuted. You want to get away from persecution. And right. sometimes people start compromising certain things in order to, to be left alone. And here we see that. It refers to Balaam, who's an Old Testament character, who was called upon by Israel's enemies uh, to teach different uh, false doctrines to cause the Israelites to stumble in their faith, to eat sacrifice food to idols, to worship idols, to commit sexual immorality. Uh, the Nicolaitans here in verse 15 were lived um, heathenistic lifestyles. They didn't think that the, uh, the moral law applied to them. They could eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, so to speak. And so the church was challenged to compromise their moral law to be accepted by the world at that time period. Mm, excellent point, Nathan. And, and Nathan, this is why, you know, even today we face these challenges 
of compromise, idolatry, sexual immorality. And uh, maybe God might be speaking to you personally today. Maybe you might be that Peggy in in in, the, in a church, or maybe compromising, or maybe you might be that John or that whoever you might be. And this is a message uh, to us as well. This is a message to you as well. God wants us to live pure lives. God wants us to live holy lives. God doesn't want us to compromise. God wants us to run away from idolatry, not to embrace it. I mean, Nathan, Exodus uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 5, if you can take us there, I mean, it's very clear how God feels about idolatry and sexual immorality and all those things. Lord said, that's the Ten Commandments, God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Uh, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So, and Nathan, I mean, that's just amazing. Uh, you know, God's commandments are uh, regarding be careful with idolatry. We are not to uh, uh, make idols of things or worship things. And that's why today people think that we, people might say, well, Pastor Vic or Nathan, we, we don't worship idols. We don't bow down to these little statues. But I think, Nathan, you can give us some, some evidence that there's a lot more to idolatry than just those things. Right. Our idolatry isn't necessarily a, a carved, uh, engraven image. It's what we place before God. What is more important to us? Is God the most important thing in our lives or are other things? Are sports more important? Oh boy, I sure see that a lot here in right. <laughs> the churches that, you know, you go to church and everyone's talking about sports eh, that you you made sports your idol. Money, alcohol, women, uh, your own health, you name it. Well, uh, C.S. Lewis in the Tape letters was talking about all the different idols and you can even make food your idol, not necessarily gluttony, but an obsession of dieting can be an idol. All these things that we place before God become idols. And uh, what we're seeing here is that this church of Pergamos became the compromising church because in order to try to protect themselves, they began compromising. For instance, mm. it became required for the Romans to declare once a year that Caesar was Lord, Caesar was God. You'd have to show up with your taxes before a magistrate. You'd have to say, Caesar is Lord. And then you'd have to pay your taxes, make a little offering, and then you were good for another year. Well, the Christians would come up before this, and they'd be like, well, I can't say Caesar is Lord. There's only one God, Jesus Christ. And so they could not do that. And therefore, they were committing idolatry from the Romans' perspective, and they were targeted as those who were not worshiping Caesar. They were considered polytheists because they wouldn't worship the Lord. They worshiped the Trinity. And that became, you, you basically put a target on you. Well, once you have a target on you, then it is society's ambition to drive you out. And brother, if there is any church that you see today in American culture, it's a church of Pergamos. I think of the, an event that happened recently where a Catholic school was uh, at a protest an American Indian group, a black Hebrew group came in and someone just focused on this one kid standing for the American Indian. And immediately the condemnation came down that this kid was a racist, that Catholics are racist, that Christians are racist because the kid is wearing a Make America Great Again hat. Well, if you're a Trump supporter, a conservative, you're racist, you're evil, you need to be destroyed. 
and and the haters came out and they put the Catholic school on a tar- in a target. They took the private information of the students and put them out. This is where they live. Go do something about it. And so you, obviously the video was proven was from other corroborative videos that it was wrong. And the whole country went nuts. So, you know, we need to shut people up that disagree with us. Well, brother, we are seeing open hostility against Christians. I'm sure if those kids weren't white and they weren't Catholic, then you wouldn't have heard the nonsense going on. But we seeing openly in the United States now a hatred of all things Christian. And brother, we're seeing open persecution. Maybe they're not beating us, but they're lambasting us openly in public and then giving our private information out in hopes that some nut job will physically harm us. It's intimidation in the hopes of you change your mind and you no longer hold to your views. Well, mm. that's what's happening to the church in Pergamos. They are being persecuted and martyred for their faith in the hopes that they will shut up about Jesus, shut up about his moral law, and let them continue to lives of live the lives of evil. And brother, we are seeing that increasingly in our country today. And it's a scary thing. It no wonder some Christians then <coughs> compromise. Nathan, and what an incredible point you just made. And that is exactly the pressures all around us. And and we're finding also, Nathan, that there are many, many Christians, churches, individuals that are caving in. They are compromising. Uh, we see the rise of the uh, seeker-friendly churches. They don't want to uh, offend. So everything is don't talk about sin. Don't talk about, uh, you know, the things that the Bible talks about. And that is a form of compromise. And I believe the message for America, a, mer- a message for these individuals, uh, a, a message for us that are maybe caught up in this is verse 16, Nathan. Uh, you, uh, the, the message there is repent or else. What is that or else, Nathan, in verse 16? <laughs> True. Repentance is always the beginning of, of reconciling with God. We, we must always approach the Lord in repentance. Repent means turn around 180 degrees and go the opposite direction. Think the opposite of what you're thinking. Do the opposite of what you're doing with contrition, with, a, with you know, uh, not just a sad heart, but you've chosen to go the opposite direction and you, you apologize for it. And that's what the Lord's saying. Hey, God is, when he says that he is a, a jealous God, that doesn't mean that, that he's jealous of us like Oprah Winfrey believes. No, he means that he's jealous of other gods of us putting idols up before him. He he created us to have fellowship with, so he's going to fight for us. And so to make it right, we need to repent. Or you have not repenting, you're on the side of evil. He will, and it says here in verse 16, I will come to you quickly. In other words, it'll happen fast. And I will fight against you with the word of God. So and we basically put ourselves in the enemy's camp when we act, behave, and think like the enemy. Nathan, and again, we find the sword again, and that, that's the, the, the sword that cuts in two ways. The Word of God edifies and builds up, but also the Word of God cuts and judges. So I think it's just fantastic uh, what the Bible is encouraging here for the believers of today to, again, some of us are called to repent. And I believe so because there is a lot of compromise as we see the days draw closer. And maybe you're finding yourself to be that Peggy or Pergamos compromising there's an opportunity for you today to turn from your sin. Maybe you are listening uh, to this program and you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you recognize that the fearful judgment of the Lord might be upon you. Well, we want to give an opportunity right now to receive Christ, to turn from your sins 
and to give God an opportunity to transform your life. Uh, Nathan, will you be able to speak to that person on the other side that maybe doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, how they can come to the Lord right now uh, and have that opportunity to have eternal life? Like uh, verse 16 says, it begins with repentance, to realize that you are in rebellion against God, that you're a sinner, to feel sorry about that, to declare that you will not do that anymore. You ask the Lord for forgiveness and declare him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And that you could do that if you believe that, that's, you come to the Lord in faith and pray something simple from your heart, like, Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. And Jesus promises to do just that. Matter of fact, in verse 17, he labels you as an overcomer. And for an mm-hmm. overcomer, they get two things, hidden manna to eat. In other words, they get to know the Holy Spirit living in them and, and revealing the Lord in our lives. And two, a new name written. In other words, your name, Vic, Victoriano, me, Nathan, we will not have those names in heaven. We will have new names and the Lord will give us that shows how he believes that we are personally. And and I don't know what those new names will be. My wife always says Nathan's a, a nerd name. Uh, <laughs> but maybe we'll have names that represent who we truly are once we're, we're uh, cleansed by Jesus Christ of our sins. You know, maybe our names will mean powerful or holy or um, victorious, or hopefully overcomer. We'll all be overcomer in some respect. Praise the Lord. Nathan, thank you so much for sharing. And maybe you right now trusted in Christ from wherever you are. This is the reality. You are an overcomer by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're excited for you. Again, this is good news. These messages here is for us. It's for us that if we are compromising to repent, God loves us. God has given us a second chance. And he has just given you a second chance. And we want to go out and share that good news with others. As believers, we're mandated to go share the good news of Jesus Christ, the great commission to make disciples of all nations. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit would empower you to do that. And I also want to encourage you to continue to read through these messages in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. Again, you're going to be blessed and encouraged. So Nathan Jones, what a fantastic message uh, for those in the Church of Pergamos and today. And I want to thank you so much, Nathan, for once again opening up these wonderful scriptures to us. Thank you, brother. It's great to study through Revelation with you. Awesome. And of course, we ran out of time for this segment of the program. But again, we thank you for being part of the program. Again, Vic Batista, my co-host, Nathan Jones, we want to thank you for being part of the program. And of course, remember, if you're in need of prayer, you can always reach out to us. So Lord willing, we will continue on the next segment of our program the next time we meet. But for today, have a great day. Keep your eyes looking forward for the Lord is coming back very, very soon. Have a great day.